Hello, and welcome to the Freight Find podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Jeff Tucker, CEO of Tucker Company Worldwide. Tucker Company Worldwide is the only third-generation family-owned freight brokerage firm that I know of, founded by Jeff's grandfather in 1961, a full two decades prior to deregulation. TCW is currently led by Jeff and his brother Jim as president and COO. They specialize in temperature-controlled, oversized, and high-value shipments, essentially the tough stuff. In our discussion, Jeff talks about what it's like to be in a family business, how the brokerage industry has changed or not over the last several years, and the importance of relationships with customers, with carriers, and with other brokerages. Following my conversation with Jeff, I'll be joined by Dr. Inami Yu to discuss the truckload market update. So, let's get started. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, this is this is great. I've been meaning to have you on for a while, um, and so I'm glad we're able to find the time. Now, you obviously have freight in your veins. Uh, Tucker Worldwide is a third-generation freight brokerage, and I don't know any other third-generation freight brokerage. I think you're the only one. Founded by your grandfather in 1961, but over that time, trucking industry has gone a lot of different shifts. So what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the time that you've been in the industry? Oh, uh, I, mean, I could I could go all different places on this <laughs> one. Um, uh, I used to use a uh, in, in, in 1991 uh, when I started in the business, I used to use a big uh, book, a big green book that to, to figure out how many miles were between keep. My goodness. Uh, and then the fax machines came and, and, and all kinds of and then the D.A.T. came and my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, no, I think that, uh, you know, when my grandfather started the business, it used to be um, uh, in, done with index cards on a board, right. and um, you know, uh, it's uh, it is utterly different today. Uh, it moves at the speed of you know just about any commerce, and and the way I see the way I see the marketplace, our freight marketplace, mm-hmm. I see it kind of broken up into it's it's in segments, but I think it um, I think it's just as uh, as alive and, and 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 breathing, so to speak, as the stock markets are or, or mm. any market. Uh, there may not be as sexy in terms of, you know, seeing uh, the charts and the graphs and uh, on, a, on a minute by minute, second by second. But um, if you if you're into this business, you can feel it. You've got yeah. you've got a sense for where things are, where things are going, why they are and what's coming you know, next, not next year next, but in the next week, few days, that sort of thing. It's. Yeah, it's what's interesting is um, first I have to say it, it's been a long time since I thought of a fax machine as an innovation, but when it came out, it was the coolest thing, wasn't exactly. it? It's like oh my god! Um, but I've seen think- so much in, thir- in the thirty years now. I didn't say I wasn't there for deregulation in nineteen eighties and early eighties, but I, I did catch the tail end of that uh, uh, in ninety one. But uh, well, it took a, it took a decade. It took almost yeah. fifteen years to absorb the changes. Yeah. And so it's well documented what happened to the carrier base, right? Class yeah. three carriers, small carriers just exploded, uh, bifurcated LTL and truckload. I, I'm not sure what impact did it have on the brokerage side? I'm not as familiar. Yeah. So, so you know, we're, we're the oldest privately held freight brokerage in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, back at the time when my grandfather started, there might have been seven, 10, 12 brokers. Uh, I think there's only two of us from that time period that exist hmm. today. Uh, deregulation 
you know, caused an explosion. So, so from, let's say in 1980, there might've been 50, 60 brokers. Um, today there are 14,000. Is, is that the number? Is that the it, number? 14,000? It's, it's about, about 14,000. Um, and then I think, you know, for the longest time carriers would, you know, d- look disparagingly uh, on the, on the brokerage industry. But now if you're a, if you're a sizable carrier without a brokerage, uh, arm, you are a, uh, uh, a unicorn today. Yeah. Um, so virtually every motor carrier's got. And I think, you know, one of the things that was key to the explosion of newer motor carriers in the in the early 80s uh, in deregulation was you still needed a, you know, someone to say, hey, I need this carrier. Oh, this right. was a th- this was in the, in the early days of uh, deregulation. Uh, carriers were coming to brokers and saying, look, can you sponsor me, so to speak? And and the sponsor, it was a, it was a formality, uh, but it was a really necessary. It was like a reference or, a, or right. A, so so uh, brokers and carriers were good for each other back in the in the 80s during deregulation and 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 again even today. Yeah, it's codependent. Yeah, it. I cut my teeth doing uh, procurement auctions for shippers in the 90s, and so at that time, just the same way. Broker was a bad word. It was a four-letter word for a lot of shippers, but that's changed dramatically over the last 15, 20 years. I think both shippers and carriers recognize the importance of having an intermediary there. Do you do you agree with that? Have you seen a, a change over time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, there's there's just no question. Um, I, I was in the Truckload Carrier Association for about 10 years on their board of um, uh, directors. Okay. And I uh, got to really see and hear... Um, what now we've never owned a truck uh so for a broker to be on the board there uh, i got a lot of insight and understanding as to how carriers viewed the world but but uh yeah broker was the enemy right um broker were uh, as you say the four the four letter a four letter word and um you know i think there were a couple carriers early uh, dan england from sierra england was one of the early adopters of a brokerage unit and there were a few other big ones uh, at the time but um you know, I think that, you know, it, it, look, in any line of business, you really just have to, it comes down to understanding who you're doing business with. If you're going to deal with any broker on a load board, uh, well, you know, um, you kind of get what you ask for. Uh, right. But if you select, you know, uh, uh, brokers that, you know, that, 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 that have a, a standing, have a reputation uh, that you build a relationship with, well, that's a whole different story. Sure. It's like that in anything. So, you know, look, we've seen a lot of, you know, just because a, a carrier has assets doesn't mean they're good. We, we deal with carriers every single day and there are some exceptional ones and, and, and then there's average and then there's way below average, right? And, right, right. and um, ones you'd never touch with. It. So it's it's that same way in brokerage. Yeah. Well, something you brought up is kind of interesting. Um, it used to be, even when I got in, in the mid to late nineties, it was very antagonistic. Uh, railroads hated truckers, shippers hated carriers, and everyone hated brokers. And so it was this weird kind of thing, but that seems to have dissipated so much more. Maybe, I don't know why, but it seems like all parties have become more sophisticated in how they use different parts and they all have a role and there's not a single solution, but it seems like relationships have become more, less antagonistic. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I, I think there's a whole lot of reasons for that. I, yes, I do agree with it uh, to some to some extent. Uh, I, I I will say that uh, when it comes to railroads and truckers, um, the railroads are still stand in the way of progress with regard to trucking, 
and and they're hardwired to do that and and they're they're essentially a monopoly so they're going to they're going to continue being who they are it's funny i um i was in a software company with john lanigan who was the next in line to be uh, president schneider but left to join the the dot com and then he went to bnsf so he's the only guy i know who's kind of like worked on all sides of it it's kind of interesting yeah well if i if i ever die and come back and and, and find myself in freight i want to work for the railroads too uh, somehow when you're a monopoly and you can kind of set your price it sounds like a lot better than uh, than an industry with 365,000 competitors yeah it's crazy but have you ever been tempted to own assets to have trucks a small private fleet where you can like leverage opportunities occasionally occasionally we come down to and and look we're not opposed to it it it, Mm -hmm. it might happen Um, it's not likely the way we see it is we're looking to solve problems for, for our customers, right? Shippers, right? Our customers. And, um, and there's no reason that the motor carriers out there in the, in, in the marketplace, um, can't be those, uh, solutions. And they have been, um, you know, running a motor car- running a motor carrier, running a, um, a warehouse, those require different people, different skills. Sure. And it begins to take the focus off. And, and, you know, one of the, I think one of the issues that, a lot of the carriers had, and, and still many today have, is that they don't let you know they don't let the uh, you know the brokerage kind of thrive and do its own thing. They try to you know, keep it as a augmentation of the motor carrier, hmm. and I just uh, I, I've never wanted that distraction uh, of having a motor carrier as well. Um, yeah. You know, we're just uh, the this industry is so big, and we can you know, continue to grow and, and, and solve problems for, for customers uh, using the resources that are out there. Yeah. So I want to talk in a second about specifically about uh, Tucker, um, but let me ask another question. Your father founded TIA, the Transportation Intermediaries Association, which is kind of strange because isn't that bringing together your competitors? Was that, was the logic to raise the whole level of the industry or was there some other reason for this? Yeah, no, that well, it, it's uh, so he was one of the founders. It was about um, okay. uh, 10, 10, 11 uh, folks at the time that uh, founded the association. He was one of them. Uh, he was a, a an outspoken individual, and again had run the business for ten years during, mm-hmm. during heavily, heavily deregulated or regulated period. So, um, yeah, he saw a couple things. He saw a lot of the stuff that was going on. There were a lot of myths and misconceptions and 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 lies and and you know, uh, mistruths and, and a lot of, a lot of venom, uh, directed to brokerage and, and to the industry. Yeah. You know what? Um, there were a lot of bad actors, a ton of bad actors in the beginning. Did they intend to be bad? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but the, the consequence was they were bad and they were bad for the industry. So that he saw it as he and, and, and the others, um, saw TIA, as uh, and it wasn't called that at the time, it was Transportation Brokers of America, then Transportation Brokers Conference of America, TBCA, and now it is today, uh, TIA. It's all the same organization. He saw it as an opportunity uh, to you know raise the the tide for for everyone. Okay. And and um, you know we we have uh, occasionally we'll lose a broker at, at, at TIA because hey why are we helping the industry? Well, you know, if it wasn't for TIA and it wasn't for um, the goodwill that TIA has created and the and the education and the and the uh, ethics that you know and the standards that TIA has set, um, you know, no company would be where they are today. Right. And so I, I, you know, I think that 
Today at TIA, you'll still go and you'll still hear competitors talk to one another about how they grow their business. And it, it's, it started out that way in 1978. And here we are in 2022. And you still get every bit of that kind of collaborative environment. Does it have a self-policing aspect to it? Or is it early days? Or is it more just um, communal, how to, how to be successful in the industry? There is a code of ethics uh, that, you know, uh, that brokers are held to. And the, uh, the TIA has ejected uh, you know, members uh, through the years. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a service called Watchdog um, that mm. uh, allows you to you know, comment on, on service. And, and, and sometimes uh, carriers can weigh in as well. Uh, on 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 a service aspect or operational aspect, but yeah, it, 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 there's a there is a code of ethics, and and uh, yeah. you know we try to uh, hold members to it. Right. So let's talk about Tucker Corporate Worldwide for a little bit. It's it's a family business, right? So I have to ask, what's it like being in a family business? The only one that's comparable to to what you do is I talked to Mark Boyle of Boyle Transport with his brother Andrew because he was a graduate of the uh, MIT program about a year ago. And it's just an interesting dynamic coming into the family firm. Do you want to stay in the firm? Do they encourage you? And then you and your brother have shared leadership roles. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I admire uh, the Boyle uh, brothers uh, quite a bit. I think they're the the, you know, the best trucking company, the most sophisticated trucking company outfit in the country, uh, period. And mm. uh, have a lot of respect and admiration. Uh, yeah, it is not easy. It is not easy. Uh working for family. Um, the first 10 years working for my dad, my dad, my dad was born in 1938, had parents who were, you know, lived through the, de- you know, the depression and were, my dad was the hardest working guy anywhere um, that I've ever met to this day. His writings stand as tall as I do. Um, you know, and, and he, uh, you know, just uh, was the consummate you know, professional, a speaker, writer, advocate for this industry. So um, here I walk into the business. Now, I wasn't supposed to. Let me back. Okay. I wasn't supposed to join the business. Um, okay. He said, hey, you guys go out into the world, find your way. If the business will be here, if you find your way back, great. If not, no harm, no foul, but go out and get some experience. I'm a junior in college. And he says, hey, I'm thinking I might sell the business. Uh, so if you want to join the company, you better join. Uh, think about it and join now. So wow. and my brother is like two years behind me in school. It's just the two of us. And we uh, so we had to think real hard. And, and you know, friends and, and relatives were like, gosh, Jeff, you'd be crazy not to. So that's that's the story of how I got in. Now, working for my dad, uh, we were a pretty small company and, and he was, you know, Napoleon uh, at this company and uh, you know just uh, really really tough to work for and you know I'd ask uh, I'd, I'd tell me what to do I say why and I wasn't trying to be a jerk asking why but it was a I get a response like a father would tell a kid now I'm in my 20s mind you college degree and working my butt off uh, says uh, because I said so well that ain't that ain't cool. That doesn't fly. <laughs> so, so look, if you want me to figure out how to make decisions, I've got to understand where you're coming from. And, and you know, that's why I'm asking why. So so that was that kind of, you know, real uh, frustration. And then, of course, you know, you never turn it off. There's, you, know, you see each other socially or, mm-hmm. and, and it, it never turns off. And you just sometimes you just need a, 
you need a little break. And yeah. so, yeah, so now it's 50 We're my brother and I are 50, 50 and you know, it's, it's a similar, you know, it's, we, 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 we split up our responsibilities pretty well, but it's not easy. Right. Right. We have different paces, different, you know, um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, people might look to one or the other, depending on what answer they want. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, it's incredibly like, I don't want to, uh, sound, uh, like this is, a, I, I love what I do. Uh, it mm -hmm. took me a while to get there, but I love, I love what I do. Uh, I just had a, I just had lunch yesterday with a customer that I've known for now for 31 years. Wow. And, um, and, and we were just, you know, reflecting on the fact that we've known each other for 31 years. Uh, and, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And, yeah. uh, you know, she knows things about me from literally from 31 years ago. So it's, um, it, it's very re rewarding and how far we've come is just remarkable. And, and, uh, we've got such a great team around us. I'm just, uh, I could be more happy. It's such a long career, but in a small industry. Yeah. I mean, I run into people that I've seen in the 90s and, and still same thing. You, you with them a lot. Uh, let me just ask, is there going to be a fourth generation? Well, we um, we've told the kids and, uh, you know, I've got four. My brother's got two um, couple and well, couple in college and, and the rest close to college. But um, we told them, look, same, same thing. It's like, look, you guys ne really need to. Both of us felt a little bit um, strong armed and, and without a choice. Right. And it took both of us a little while to, 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 yeah. So we really, you know, our gift, so to speak to the kids is look, go, go out and find your, you know, go out and find your way. What, what really excites you? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think, you know, at least my two older ones um, have a really good sense for where they want to go and it's not in freight. Um, so, so we're really trying to encourage them to, you know, find their path. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about Tucker a little more now. Um, I first became aware of it in a case study that was done out of Ivy Business School about Tucker. And what I what I was uh, immediately taken by it is you're un, you're not a, a typical broker. Let's put it that way, in that you're constantly looking for driving and freight and you're matching in that. You tend to deal with specialized, oversized, overdimensional, the hard stuff. And so I've got to ask, is, is this a deliberate strategy from the beginning? Did you evolve to this? How did it, how did that come about, and how would you describe uh, Tucker's main focus? So in the in the early days, um, we had we had three sales reps. Two of them quit, and and I was just fresh out of school. So so for a couple of years, it was me and this other guy were the two sales reps for the company. And I I had a you know at least half the business and and, and grew it to to more and. But a lot of the work that we were doing, I was in New York City in Connecticut, and we were with trading companies. Right. And we'd get uh, 100 loads out of the Port of Baltimore, Newark, uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And, and, and the trading companies, they would, they would take all 100 loads away for a penny a mile. Yeah. Uh, one of our customers was a company called Carter Wallace. And um, they make, you know, they made drugs and uh, Trojan condoms, right? And, and arid extra dry, lots okay. of brands that you know, they don't exist anymore. They've sold off all their brands. But one of the guys told us, Hey, you guys, you do a nice job for us bringing packaging and that sort of materials. You should really check out this trade association. So it, it was more of a healthcare trade association. Mm -hmm. So as we were getting beaten up and, and back in the day, it was American backhaulers, which is today yeah. it's one of the big brokers, uh, Chicago offices. And, um, 
we were getting beaten up, beaten up left and right with these commodities. And we we're like, this is, you know, this is going away um, and, and uh, there's no value here. It's just a, it's just a pure money play. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up, uh, you know, checking out some other other industry. Now, we had been doing overdimensional freight, heavy haul, high, wide, long, all and all the above since day one. So we started doing a little bit more of that. Uh, that that is, that is really very sophisticated stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Very few brokers do that, and even very few flatbed carriers even want to mess with that because it's so incredibly complicated and risky. Um, at, but then you know, back to back to the healthcare, we started getting into healthcare about thirty years ago, thirty-two years ago, and really doubled down on that. And that is one of our so temperature control, life sciences is what it's called now. We, refers to kind of all areas of, 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 of healthcare freight, uh, life science. So it could be uh, prescription pharmaceuticals. It could be like gummy pain relievers. It could be anything in between. Yeah. Uh, it tends to be temp control or protect from freeze. It tends to have uh, bad guys following the trucks to try to knock them off and, and right. steal the product. So both sides of the house, right? Um, the heavy haul specialized wildly different and unique. Yeah, and yeah. then the other side is, uh, you know, neither of those, you see any, really any brokers of any kind of substance or, or quality in those spaces. And we've really been able to, with a, a you know, we have a quality management um, company or ISO certified. Uh, we, we, we've built a lot of specialties around these areas and, and some other related areas. Yeah, and, and a lot of those areas have no tolerance for service failure. It's, no. it's not an option for that. No. It's not like just turning down a load. Um, how does that change your carrier base selection? You, I assume you don't use too many owner operators. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, when, when brokers get together, uh, you hear, you know, there's a lot of things that you talk about. Um, it's, you know, carriers get together, they talk about the trucks that they have and how many trucks right. they have. Right. And, Brokers get together, they talk about the revenues and they talk about, um, uh, you know, how many carriers they have under contract. Right? And, yeah. uh, and it could be like 15,000 or 20,000. And like, that means absolutely nothing to me because most of those carriers, right, are going to be owner operators. Okay, well, that, so that dude's going to cover a load for you. Um, we, we, uh, we, we need a lot of technology, right? Uh, we need the investment in the technology. It could be not only for the tracking and tracing, but it could be... Uh, temperature, humidity, these kinds mm -hmm. of things, right? And then, of course, we need to be able to play back uh, the temperature readings for, you know, as far back as even a year, two years. Uh, so, yeah, so the our carrier base, uh, the number of carriers that we have under contract, way smaller than any yeah. of our size or even half our size. But that's one of the special sauces here, too, is that, you know, we, we have a, a saying where we cover lanes, not loads. Mm. And, and uh, you know, whereas a broker, uh, if they cover a, a, a load with an owner operator and that owner operator invariably finds a better load and they just say, oh, well, my truck broke down, whatever, they, whatever excuses, then that broker has to now recover that load, find another company, right? In our model and in our relationships, we're dealing with mid-sized fleets um, also family owned or, or, or smaller companies that, that the management team uh, knows us, we know them. And if John from Green Trucking Company doesn't show up because, you know, John got delayed, Green Trucking Company still knows that, hey, all right, we got to swing someone else in. There's a Tucker load and they and they swing someone else. So from a workload standpoint, uh, from, a, you know, 
even from a technology standpoint, it's it becomes more seamless, uh, you know, to us and to our customer. Has your carrier base been relatively stable? Do you have like carriers you've been using for 30 years, 20 years, or do you find that constantly churning? It's constantly churning, but yes. Do, do we have carriers for 30? Yeah, just like my customer that I mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah. 30, 32 years, we have carriers that have been with us for that long. And, uh, you know, and, and, and we value uh, those kind of things and double down on those relationships to, to the next. It also seems your sales reps aren't just you know, offering capacity, they're solving problems because uh, they, people come to you for more complicated things. Do you find that hard in the hiring in your end to get these problem solvers, not just selling capacity? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely different, right? Um, when we, when we hire from the industry, you know, a lot of brokers are just selling the next, you know, the next load and right. if they make a right. margin, right. they make a margin. And if they don't, they, Hey, there's another load next, next. And we'll just, and, sales representatives with a background like that and that's got to be you know close to 80 85 90 percent of sales right. reps in the industry they're not used to asking questions uh, and and then you know uh, following up a question with a question and and you know even when we talk to customers for the first time or prospects for the first time and we really we understand what they need and they they ask us why you know why are you asking so many questions? <laughs> this is the customer. And, you know, we say, well, you know, we're trying to really thoroughly understand here so we can come back with a, yeah, we can help you or we can't, or this is what we think. And when we hear, we hear, we used to, it used to bother us a little bit when we heard you're the only ones asking us this, or you're the only ones looking at our contract and, 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 and giving us some feedback. What, what, what's going on? And now we expect it and we like, like folks, we, uh, we, for every customer, especially complicated ones, we build customer specific SOCs or standards of care internally here. And, and it's based on what you tell us you need and, and we're going to execute darn near perfectly. And, and, and that's just the way we're built. So, you know, you have to ask questions and, and it's not about, uh, what's the next load are you moving? Hey, can we give it, can you give us a shot on that? Uh, where do you have to be? Oh, I can be right. right. A thousand. Oh, I'll be nine. It's not about that. That's not yeah. the business that we're in. Yeah. One of the interesting things I was just re-listening to my conversation with, with Mark Boyle, cause I, there are similarities between the companies. And one of the things he said is that engineers are used to making trade-offs on things, but a lot of people in the service industry think that everything can be perfect in all dimensions, Right. Um, quality, low cost, fast, and you know the idea is pick two. Do you find the challenge for that? Are you looking to see where where the trade off, what's really important, and what is not, or how do, how do you do that with your customers? Yeah, it, it, you, it, we have similar you know similar conversations, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what's the phrase we use? Um, uh, it's but you know straight talk. Can we can mm. we can we straight talk here? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's uh, as if you're in the military. Hey, uh, permission to speak freely, right, um, right? Right. And and it's you know, and it's kind of laying it out. You know, okay. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I think a real world example mm -hmm. that uh, with freight visibility that we have today. If you're if you're shipping freight that goes into the consumer uh, consumer goods industry, any big box retailer, online retail, there's compliance fees. Right. There's, there's, um, uh, you've got to deliver, you've got to deliver on time. You've got to pick up on time. You've, you've got, and the orders have to be in full, right? The OTIF. Right. On time. Yeah. For the longest time, 
on-time performance was was self-reported by by motor carriers small carriers medium carriers and the very largest of large carriers would self-report to the shipper at their quarterly business reviews their on-time performance um, we as a broker we knew every carrier's on-time performance because we were tracking and tracing this is before freight visibility and the technology we have right we're right. tracking and tracing when did the driver leave okay great talking to the drivers even even with the largest carriers talking to the drivers before they were, we were just coached look kinds of freight we need we're moving we need to know so we knew we knew incredibly accurately for right right 20 years on to our on-time performance and each carrier's on-time performance when visibility came into the picture and OTIF came into the picture. I was with a, a huge uh, global manager for a, a huge uh, consumer products company. And when he said, uh, oh, 85%, yeah, we've got that. No problem in terms of on time, no problem. We're in the high nineties. That guy spent the last two years of his career figuring out where he was gonna find the money to pay for all, or his organization was gonna find all the money to pay for the, um, the, the lack of on time. He had wow. no idea because again, in the early days of, of track and trace, you had no, you know, you were trusting that the carriers uh, on time uh, uh, self-reported uh, data was, was accurate. And, and, you know, the only way you knew it wasn't is if you knew something blew up, you had a mushroom shape right. with a customer and you remember that load and Hey, how come you know, back in November, you, you don't show that as a late load? That was, do you, don't you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I think that, that that's a huge, huge change and a benefit to the industry. And, it, and, and, and what I say, why I say this, it's really the first time that we as a broker or, 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 or motor carriers can, who actually perform and right. deliver on time. It's the first time that performance has really mattered. Right. Okay. It, it literally like in 62 years of our 61 years of our business, 31 years of me in the, in this business, our on time has never really mattered. Hmm. Right. Nobody's on time has really ever mattered except if you had a little mushroom shaped cloud. Right. Um, because, because shippers would say, and buyers would say, and procurement would say, uh, all, all, we, service isn't equal. We, we <laughs> it never was. And now with the data, we're seeing that it, it, it truly isn't. Well, it's funny. Everyone's collecting data now. And, and so everyone has different views. It's a big elephant that everyone's, you know, seeing different pieces of it. Um, do you see it actually improving on-time performance now? Or are we just able to just better report the numbers and see how bad we are? It's, it depends on what you do with the data. Um, yeah. I, I think, yes, if you're using the data. Look, I, I think to me, if I'm a shipper, now I'm a, I'm a broker and I'm, I'm buying freight every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm evaluating motor carriers every single day. So I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm a, I'm a top-notch scientist in this, in this space of procurement, right? Um, but we hold ourselves out to be darn near perfect. We had a, we, we had a, 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 a life science customer we, 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 uh, we just met with for our, our December and a, and, a, and a year meeting in November. And uh, they told us, and we're, we're a significant player. They told us, and this is two quarterly business reviews in a row, you guys are our top on-time performer mm. out of the couple brokers we use in all the motor carriers. And you guys have because our fulfillment rates are as low, are, are low 
and still not, you know, the supply chain is still not fully up to speed because our fulfillment rates aren't um, where we need them to be. Your on-time performance, as high as it is, is driving up our averages and it's saving us hundreds of thousands of dollars a quarter, right? So, so yeah, that customer is, is consciously using the data to save them on the, on the back end on these compliance fees. Right. Right. But it really just depends. Are you using the data? Can you make, you know, I've got another customer in, in uh, food and they, they have, um, they, they, they try to avoid network wide bidding, but they do these, these, um, mini bids monthly. Right. And the mini bids have to do with, um, on time performance. If they're on time performance to certain customers, is poor, certain lanes are, are, are poor, they will try to improve that on-time performance. They might have to pay a little bit more because it's, it's in a mini bid, might be paying right. less, probably been paying less the last few months. Right. But they're focused on on-time performance. So it, you know, to answer your question, it's all the the driver, you know, yeah, yeah. Who, who's behind the wheel, who's making the decisions. There's been a lot of um, work now with the better data to see how much, um downtime drivers have where they're stuck for dwell. And I've seen a lot of effort on both shipper carrier side, trying to reduce that. My colleague up here at MIT, Dave Carell's done a study and shown just the number of hours. I think on average, it's like six and a half hours of drive time out of 11. And if you just add another half hour, you'd get rid of Bob Costello's driver shortage, you know? So the question is, you know, where did, obviously that's silly, but the thing is I've seen the on time and the visibility tracking uh, improve the driver's experience or starting to are you seeing the same kind of thing not as necessarily on time but make the, their time more productive yeah I, again I, I think it has a lot to do with who's making the decisions right yeah and, and again we see a lot of customers we see customers who are invested in 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 trying to load drivers quickly or unload drivers quickly and they understand the implications and they're you know they're trying to be that you know, that, that shipper choice, shipper preference. And then there's some that they just flatly don't care, don't have the resources, yeah. don't have the, the controls. Yeah. They use a third party logistics company to do their run their warehouse and their and the loading of the trucks. And and you know what? They're not big enough to influence how that facility operates. So you know, you're kind of stuck with what you're stuck with. It's funny the the phrase shipper of choice, it comes in and out of fashion depending on the uh, where the market is. Right yeah. now, shipper of choice, not as important since April when the market dropped. It'll become more important in about six months when the market tightens back up again. Um, let me ask about some other things that you're doing because you, you're just recently involved in the Biosupply Management Alliance or BSMA. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, also life science, uh, but it's uh, it's an association of pharmaceutical companies, um, biotech companies, um, startups and, and, and ones that are about to go commercial. And then, and then there are some very large, well, well-known names mm -hmm. in the pharmaceutical space. And, uh, it's a combination of, um, you know, service providers in that, in that space. So you could be parcel, you could be last mile, you could be container manufacturers, you could be the, uh, active actively controlled containers, you know, temperature controlled, passive blanket manufacturers, um, anyone that could potentially touch the supply chain of um, pharma and, and, and biopharma, mm -hmm. 
is is there and and, and BSMA is uh, I've I've been a speaker there and just like um, Andrew Boyle has spoken there Andrew and I've done a lot of talks um, through the years at BSMA I I um, I just recently became chair of their transportation and logistics committee and as chair we have a committee that puts together content for their annual meeting which is uh, March 8th and 9th in in Foster City. California, just south of um, yeah, just south of the, the airport, in San Francisco, and uh, it's 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 great organization. A lot of um, a lot of interesting information and and and, and uh, solutions, potential solutions, uh, from you know from from transportation to packaging to to digital twins um, to be able to figure out you know how how a particular box filled with a particular material might survive. Three different aircraft, the tarmacs, trucks, and and, and the handling, uh, hmm. without actually sending uh, that box, just uh, using the data. So a lot of really fascinating stuff. And and if you're into life science, uh, it's a great place to spend time and, and learn. All right, all right. Um, last question. Yep. So we just come through the pandemic. Knock on wood. So I have to ask, what did you take away from operating the pandemic? Are there any things, silver linings, that you were forced to do during the pandemic that are changing the way you operate now, whether professionally or personally? Countless. Um, I, I think a couple of the big ones, we're, we're a lot more flexible with regard to work um, and, and where work happens, right? So we're, mm. we're now permanently 50-50. 50% of the time you're home, 50% of the time you're in an office. Uh, some of our folks have moved different places in the country and we've kept them. Right. And in past world, we might have lost them. Uh, but, um, you know, it's... it's um, and, and obviously the tools that we utilize to, to speak yeah. and communicate. I mean, I don't know. We don't even have telephone conversations with customers anymore. Everything is, you know, <laughs> so we're seeing people's faces a lot more than we ever did before. And I think that's that's been that's been great. Uh, I'll tell you, though, uh, coming out in 2021, go starting going to trade association meetings. And then especially, especially this year, in 2022, every trade association meeting I've been to, Every conference I've been to was was way oversold, yeah. Uh, because yeah, people yeah. were ready to. You know, so we are still, as much as we want to say we're a digital, we are still um, a very much of a social industry, and right. a trust and a relationship industry, and um, and I think people are long overdue or feel long overdue to get together and, and really work on the problems uh, that, that that only you know strong collaboration can solve. I agree. I, something that I've found for uh, doing things remote, it's great for some things. You don't have to travel half a day for a 30-minute or 40-minute meeting, but it seems like sometimes problem solving takes longer than if you just got everyone in the same room and you figured it out, but it's like you Zoom with this person, you Zoom with that person, and problem solving drags on sometimes because it's hard to get nuances yeah. uh, or have side conversations. Have you? Do you see the same thing or are you able to uh, work around those? Yeah, no, we, I, I, I agree entirely with that. I mean, we can, we, obviously we can work with it. We work, had to work a year yeah. and a half that way, at least a year. But when we can get a group together, decisions can be made. And, and as you say, nuances and, and sidebar yeah. conversations that are really necessary to get to that next step in the conversation project, um, yeah. you know, happen and, and, and things move more, far more quickly. Yeah. It, it is amazing how, I mean, I used to have a conference phone, 
on my table, on my desk, right? I'd use it all the time. And now it's, I put it next to the fax machine, right? I don't use that anymore. If I want to have more than one person, do it and you can see each other. Yeah, it's definitely changed very quickly in two years. It's very quickly changed the culture. Well, Jeff, thank, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed talking with you. Chris, yeah, no, it was a pleasure here as well. Thank you. So everyone stay tuned for the market update with Dr. Enon. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for December 15th. 2022. In today's market update, we'll discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are flat. Spot rates are up 2%. Replacement rates negative 8%. This means the new contract rates are about 8% below the rates being replaced. On the time control side, active rates down 1%. Spot rates up half a percent and replacement rates negative 15%. In a model, active rates are down 1%, spot rate is flat, and replacement rate is positive 4%. Finally, on the flatbed, active rates are up 1%, spot rates up 1%, and replacement rate is positive 5%. So overall, active rates are continuing to trend downward, Replacement rates are about 8 to 15%, depending on whether it's VAN or reefer, respectively. Uh, and spot rates uh, show a slight increase as compared to uh, our last update. Uh, however, there is nothing that proves so far that we have yet turning the corner. So it, it could be a, a, a more seasonal thing, but nothing to show that it, the spot rates are turning the corner. Overall, uh, today, the spot rates on the dry van side, uh, spot rates are 41 cents below the contract. And uh, on the van, uh, reefer side, spot rates 34 cents below the contract rates. So both spot rates are below contract rates. Average shipper van and reefer spot rates have dropped compared to, so January 2022 is when spot rates peaked. Uh, so t- today, as compared to January 2022, dry van is about $1.29 a drop, which is about 36%. And in reefer, it's about $1.13, again, compared to January 2022, which is about 30% drop. On the contract side, uh, it peaked in April 2022. And compared to April today, we are sitting at about $0.25 cent reduction on uh, van contract which is about eight and a half percent to drop and on the reefer side it's a 20 cent to drop which is about 6.3 percent again both of these are compared to april may time period of 2022 when contract peaked uh, year over year dry van we are sitting about four uh, percent negative which is uh, compared to a year ago which is december 2021 we are about 4% below uh, that rate on the drive and contract side. And on the spot side, we are about 30% below uh, year over year. Finally, on uh, fuel, we, we dropped below $5 again, which is good news. We are currently sitting at about 4.75. 
and uh, shippers are paying somewhere around 59 cents uh, on fuel surcharge compared a year ago uh, we are uh, fuel price is about uh, one dollar and 11 cents per gallon above what it used to be a year ago and that concludes this week's market update thank you well, that wraps up this episode of The Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by Dr. Inam Ayub and myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freight Vine or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.capless at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.